0: Hello, my freedom loving friends. You are listening to the Free Mitten News, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Michigan. I am your host, Connor Napomucino, here to give you the freedom perspective on today's current events. Today, we are covering banking in the marijuana industry, escalating tensions in Ukraine, the theocracy of Michael Flynn, the mass non compliance of a California town, the COVID apartheid state and the arrogance of Dr. Fasci. Sit tight and grab a glass of water. We've got some red pills coming your way. Since its legalization by Michigan voters in 2018, the cannabis industry has been a boon to Michigan's economy. Taking in over $300 million in 2020 alone, it has created jobs and contributed tens of millions of dollars each year to the state treasury. For all that good, Considerable and unnecessary hurdles put in its way by the federal government remain. After legalization, one of the biggest problems has been the exclusion of Michigan cannabis businesses from access to licensed banking, Because marijuana remains illegal under federal law, any bank that accepted funds from these Michigan businesses would leave it open to money laundering charges by the federal government. Now, three years after it became a problem, it has taken the various lobbying of state bankers groups just to get an exception squeezed into the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act. Provided the so-called Safe Banking Act is included in the Senate's bill, relief could come as soon as January, as a vote on the Defense Authorization Act is expected before the end of the year. This story is illustrative of the problems created by a large and intrusive government. From trying to regulate the personal and business decisions of millions of consenting adults, to preventing the citizens and their elected legislators effectively regulating their own state economies, in the end, it takes organized lobbying to wedge a temporary solution into a bill to be stuffed into another, bigger bill. If that doesn't illustrate the need for libertarian government, I don't know what does. It is questionable whether the FDA should exist, let alone the DEA. Let consenting adults and businesses make their own choices. The war on drugs has been a senseless waste of money. By the DEA's own admission, despite 50 years and trillions of dollars, there has been no demonstrable impact on drug consumption or trafficking. It's almost as if the laws of supply and demand are true. It's time for the government to stop wasting our time and money trying to paddle up a river it had no business being on in the first place. The role of the state is to defend its borders and protect the lives and property of its citizens, not play social engineer. Next, we will comment on the apparently impending escalation of the conflict over Ukraine. In virtually every way, this was entirely avoidable, and at its core are a series of interventionist U.S. policies. It was Bush Sr. and Clinton that insisted Ukraine give up its nuclear weapons in exchange for security assurances from both the U.S. and Russia. Clinton and Bush Jr., who expanded the NATO military alliance right up to Russia's doorstep despite its opposition, Bush Jr. and Obama, who encouraged and welcomed revolutions that toppled Russian allies in Georgia and Ukraine. And it was the later ousting of Putin ally Viktor Yanukovych, With covert U.S. funding and public support by prominent Republicans and Democrats that precipitated the Russian annexation of the Crimea and the wider ongoing conflict in the eastern Russian-speaking parts of the state. A conflict that probably wouldn't have happened had Ukraine been allowed to keep its nuclear arsenal in the first place. Despite the disaster commentary provided by mainstream, internationalist-oriented media, open war on Kiev by Moscow is unlikely. Even if it were to happen, no clear U.S. interests are at stake, and there is no advantage to be had in military involvement. Ukraine is not a NATO member. Both Russia and the U.S. claim the other side violated their security pledge, respect the sovereignty of Ukraine, and no UN Security Council resolution could pass a Russian veto. Despite the scaremongering of the establishment media about the danger of a revanchist Russia, responsiveness to their propaganda is diminished by exposure to a map. In a telling survey, Russia expert and researcher Timothy Fry found a majority of the thousands of respondents reported Russia's threat to Ukraine was a serious national security problem for the U.S. until shown a map highlighting the locations of the countries in question. The situation then changed, with the majority saying the situation posed no threat to the United States. The historical, sociological, and economic relations between Ukraine and Russia are fraught with a thousand complexities, few of which Americans are aware of and none of which they will care about if any number of Americans wind up being killed over what is essentially the secession of Ukraine's corrupt and impoverished Rust Belt. It is possible that as in April, Russian troop deployments are meant to initiate a summit between Putin and Biden. It is possible, too, that some offensive operations are meant to be carried out, possibly in conjunction with some simultaneous actions by allies in Belarus or Serbia. Perhaps it will have some relation to events in Bosnia and Herzegovina. The situations are complex, and if treaty obligations do not demand it, the best outcome for the American people is the one that sees the U.S. keep its blood-soaked hands off, saving American lives and treasure. The libertarian foreign policy. In an odd outburst on November the 13th, Michael Flynn former national security advisor to the Trump administration, said the United States should have a single religion. Given that such religious unity has never existed in the United States and is in fact contrary to founding principles and the federal and most state constitutions, this might seem like an odd statement for a failing politician. Flynn, in a speech to an audience at Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, for the Reawaken America movement, a right-wing conservative movement that advocates for the increased Protestant Christianization of the United States, said, "If we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion. One nation under God and one religion under God." End quote. In this single statement, Flynn advocated for both forced unity and its maintenance under the adaptation of Protestant Christianity as a mandated national faith. Despite the applause of the audience after the statement was made, Matt Hagee, senior pastor of Cornerstone Church, apologized for the event, claiming that the Reawaken America group had not been properly vetted, and adding, quote, It was not appropriate to allow this event at our church, the Church is not associated with this organization and does not endorse their views, end quote. The backlash to the comment has harmed the reputation of the Cornerstone Church, which has been quick to engage in damage control, as well as Flynn, who is now being lambasted in many circles as a religious zealot and aspiring theocrat. Despite Flynn's claim of deeply rooted Judea-Christian values, ignoring the numerous deists who numbered among the founders, he fails to recognize that religion and faith-based movements in the United States enjoy the strength they do because of absence of government interference, and this lack of interference was intentionally sought after for this purpose. The Libertarian Party has always advocated for religious plurality and tolerance leaving faith as a matter of individual conscience to be exercised freely. This freedom has seen an intensity of faith in the United States of numerous religions that often does not exist in other Western nations. One only need look at modern Europe and the former Soviet Union to see that invariably, states that suppress religious freedom seek to realign the state as a deity of sorts, whereas in the United States, Numerous faiths are practiced with a devotion and vigor rarely found in other places. This same suppression of true religious devotion arises when the state mandates a specific faith as official. Indeed, official and state-led faiths often serve to delude citizens into confusing their faith with devotion to the state, which furthers empowers it. Religion, independent of the state, can be seen as a bulwark against tyranny, especially where religious pluralism exists. Lovers of freedom recognize this very simple principle, and it is well enunciated in the National Libertarian Party platform. We favor the freedom to engage in or abstain from any religious activities that do not violate the rights of others. We oppose government actions that either aid or attack any religion. It is disappointing that in the 21st century, Many ignore this much-needed freedom and occasionally even give tacit endorsement to theocratic movements. While the statements made by Flynn can be seen as a politician playing to an overzealous audience, or even as a disgraced public figure seeking a fervent support base, we must remember that the right is as prone to fascist collective ideologies as the left. Mandated faiths are certainly not as urgent an issue as mandated vaccines and medical passports, but neither are in line with libertarian principles, and neither should be tolerated by those who place individual freedom above majoritarian dictate. A small town in California, 90 miles from Sacramento, called Oroville, has declared itself a constitutional republic, in response to federal and state vaccine mandates, the city has adopted a resolution that it did to make a statement that its own city government and leaders would not be bullied into violating the rights of their citizens due to government overreach. Tensions between the urban, Democrat run state government and more conservative municipalities and cities in the northern part of the state have seen increased tension over lockdowns and mandates in recent months, particularly after the recall failed to oust the governor, Gavin Newsom. Oroville, it should be noted, both largely supported Newsom's removal and has been resistant to state mandates. Oroville refused to restrict indoor dining or enforce mask mandates this fall. Despite the strong language, the separation is largely symbolic, and Oroville leadership has no intention of pushing the issues further at this point. Certainly, legal analysts have argued they have not made themselves immune to state edict. Indeed, Oroville leadership describes the resolution as an effort to push back against state government and affirm the city's values and commitment to the Constitution. While the resolution itself lacks any real teeth, Vice Mayor Scott Thomason said it was still a necessary act, quote, I proposed it after 18 months of increasingly intrusive executive mandates and what I felt to be excessive overreach by our government. After the failed recall in California, our state governor seems to be on a rampage and the mandates are getting more intrusive. Now he's going after our kids and schools, quote. The city council's members are largely in support of the resolution as they felt the vaccine mandates for children is where they needed to draw the line. One speaker at the meeting noted, that this was one of the last steps they could take to protect their rights of bodily autonomy and their children's health. Quote, We're hoping that becoming a constitutional republic city is the best step in order to regain and maintain our inalienable rights protected by the Constitution of the United States. What will be left if we don't have that? If we don't have bodily autonomy? One speaker said in tears, What else are they going to want me to let them do to my kids? Where does it stop? End quote. While the local schools will not be directly affected by the passage of the resolution, it does put the city in the position to deny public monies for such programs, effectively hoping that holding purse strings will prevent implementation or overreaching state policy. The hope is that this will have some impact, both regarding school policy and other policies that would require local money. While the leaders in Oroville should be commended for standing up for their rights of their citizens, the truth is that the resolution does little to prevent abuses of their rights by California state government. The resolution is more a political statement than anything else, though the possibility of denying state mandates financial assistance does exist. Strong leadership would support citizens in their refusal to comply with harmful mandates, such as mandatory vaccines and lockdowns, operating as a legal bulwark to protect their citizens' basic human rights. We have seen such instances where municipalities and their enforcement officials have done just that, refuse to enforce such irrational edicts, and snub state and federal demands for fines, seizures, and incarceration. Given the increasingly authoritarian nature of such mandates and the officials who order them, Such gestures will no doubt become more common, but will have less than the desired impact without broad scale, implementation, of full rejection of such orders. This may not be enough to truly curb the rising abuse of power by authoritarian leaders like Gavin Newsom. Given all that it is notable that libertarians have an advantage in thinking that many conservatives do not, We are not hemmed in by the same kind of nationalistic or patriotic collectivism. The liberty-minded are more willing to risk the cost of disobedience and less bound by the notion that national unity should be weighed against individual liberty. The dissolution of the nation is not unthinkable if it protects the rights of individual human beings. Just as the founders of this country seceded from the large British Empire, We too must be ready to break political ties if we are to preserve the reality of ideals like freedom. Simply put, Oroville's resolution is not firm enough and does not go far enough. It is a form of negation with an entity which seeks to deprive them of their most basic right of bodily autonomy. It seeks not just to do this to them but to their children and is willing to hold their businesses and livelihoods hostage to force the issue. The only response that will give them their desired result is a full rejection of the authority their abusers claim over them. The problem is that this is an action that few seem will be willing to take or even consider at this point. Rejection of authority up to and including decentralization and dissolution of political bounds may be required by some if the death of freedom is to be prevented. As the nightmare of authoritarianism increases across the globe, never failing to use COVID hysteria to justify its oppressive acts, only those who will place freedom over old political bonds and nationalistic traditions stand a chance of stemming the tide. In an article by Kyle Smith in the National Review, the author addresses the increasing threat of vaccine apartheid In the Western world, despite assurances early in the process that vaccines would be highly effective at both preventing infection and transmission of COVID-19, this has simply proven to not be the case. COVID injections have proven more dangerous and less effective than advertised, but despite this reality, there is still a growing trend to demand the isolation of those who have not received a COVID injection. Indeed, such people are increasingly the subject of threats on the part of citizens and increasing oppression on the part of the state. The CDC announced in July of this year that viral loads in areas of transmission were largely identical in the infected, regardless of injection status. Currently, in the UK, COVID infection per 100,000 are now higher among those considered vaccinated than those considered unvaccinated. Indeed, in those aged between 40 and 79, infection rates among the vaccinated are more than twice as high as among the unvaccinated. Given the reality of transmission, the pertinent question is, why are those who have not received the jab being increasingly demonized, and why are nations like Austria and potentially Germany embracing the idea of creating a two-tiered society based on an injection that only mitigates symptoms. The media seems determined to perpetuate the lie that those who have had no COVID injections, or not enough injections, are functionally plague rats. The truth is that the uninjected are no more apt to spread the virus than those who are injected. Indeed, such people are more apt to be symptomatic, and despite claims to the contrary, to build more effective natural immunity, as supported in scientifically sound studies conducted in Israel. The increasing rancor against the uninjected is impossible to ignore. Given the increasingly divisive nature of the COVID response on the part of governments and the increasingly partisan divide that it fuels, one can argue that this is largely about the social sanctioning of persecution, That was already desired and can now be justified in a plague scare of a virus with a fatality rate of less than 1%. It should be self-evident to the liberty-minded that othering and persecution via the mechanism of the state is inherently wrong, and that the desire of an individual to keep their bodily autonomy is proper and natural. The increasing persecution of those who choose not to receive a COVID injection is very much an assault on that basic human right and an assault against the idea that individual rights should not be nullified by majoritarian sentiment, especially when goaded by fear-mongering. This assault has taken other forms since COVID response on the part of the state began, such as the conflict over lockdowns, masking, Passports, and now, injections. The reason that injections have caused so much rancor is clear. The anticipation that injection of a foreign substance into the body, with rare but potentially deadly side effects, as a condition for normal and necessary activity, is as profoundly authoritarian as anything we've seen in the last century. The notion that the majority have a right to decide that everyone play Russian roulette with their own health To engage in basic actions such as labor and purchase of goods is anathema to every principle of individual liberty that exists. The impulse towards collectivism and limiting freedom to provide safety is seductive to many people. Indeed, the collectivists, particularly on the left, have wholly embraced such measures and are at the forefront of demands for oppression of the non-compliant Despite the fact that the data shows that injections do little to prevent transmission or infection and can only mitigate symptoms for the already vulnerable, there is an increasingly tribalistic desire to persecute those unwilling to undergo a medical procedure that they most likely don't need. This kind of persecution and push to impose bodily violation should be resisted at every turn. Mandates of COVID injections are a line in the proverbial sand and future conditions and precedents of individual bodily autonomy against the whims of the state and majoritarian angst is on the line. Anthony Fauci has been increasingly under fire from medical experts and Republican lawmakers alike for not only hiding information pertaining to the National Institutes of Health funding gain-of-function research, but also for his inconsistent approach to public policy regarding COVID-19. Fauci has largely deflected or outright ignored criticism, labeling his detractors, including medical experts with contrary opinions, as anti-science. During a recent interview with Face the Nation, Fauci took this claim one step further, saying, Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up to, and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about, Fauci said. But if they get up and ra- really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people can recognize that there's a person there, so it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science, because I represent science, end quote. Fauci literally claims that all angst against him is directed at a near infallible system of scientific inquiry and proven, settled conclusions which he has come to represent. This claim is tantamount to saying that he is the voice of real science and that any oppositional conclusions or detractions is scientifically inaccurate. This phenomenal claim was quickly assailed by Fauci's most prominent critic, Senator Rand Paul, himself a medical doctor, who said in response, the absolute hubris of someone claiming they represent science. It's astounding and alarming that a public health bureaucrat would even think to claim such a thing, especially one who has worked so hard to ignore the science of natural immunity, end quote. Fauci, in turn, also dismissed a suggestion from Senator Ted Cruz that he should be prosecuted for perjury by the Attorney General over his comments denying the gain-of-function research conducted at the Wuhan Institute with funding from the National Institute of Health. This in the light of recent letters that, in fact, such research did occur. Fauci responded that this was largely an attempt on the part of the GOP to scapegoat him to, due to the unfavorable light he feels has been shed on the Republicans since the events of January 6th. Fauci said, you'd have to be asleep not to believe that Republicans are trying to scapegoat me. End quote. He did not address why this was a pertinent rebuttal to Cruz's accusation of perjury regarding gain-of-function research at Wuhan. Before addressing this claim by Fauci, we should address what science is a reason-based, methodological examination of the natural world using known empirical data. This, in turn, is used to come to conclusions as to why certain events occur in the natural world. What science is not is an orthodoxy. Science is not ever final, unquestionable, or settled. Scientific inquiry, by its very nature, must accept new data, criticism, and analysis, because it is always evolving. It must do so as its practitioners, human beings, are imperfect, and as such are capable of bias and error. To treat it otherwise is to give it the power of an unquestionable faith, a secular orthodoxy, which does not only reject other ideas, but even calls variances in conclusion heresy. The response to this supposed heresy regarding COVID-19 has been the chanted dogma of trust the science, but as noted, science is neither uniform nor settled. The reality is that the phase trust the science means trust the word of those controlling the narrative regarding COVID-19 as a scientific edict from the god of science. The demand is to assume that those presenting this data are both incorruptible and infallible. It should also be noted that science has nothing to do with morality. Science addresses the probabilities of what is, based on human knowledge and comprehension. Morality addresses what should be, based on the experience drawn from the impacts of human behavior. Morality addresses what is good, in the context of possible action. For example, killing another person for pleasure is a possibility, and any reasoned observation can attest to this. But the question is not, is it possible, but is it desirable? Science addresses possibilities in the confines of observable natural law. Morality addresses the behaviors of human interaction. Science, by definition, cannot create or define morality. Science itself has been often used to justify immoral behavior. The medical experiments of Joseph Mengele during World War II, or the US's own experiments with eugenics and forced sterilization in the 1920s or 30s, or the infamous Tuskegee syphilis experiments. What we see in such instances is scientific inquiry without regard for morality, though concepts of dehumanization and greater good are often used as a supposed moral pretext. We've also seen the economic interest can lead to flawed and unjustified scientific assumption, such as the supposed harmless nature of chemicals like DDT, thalidomide, and the use of asbestos as a safe fire prevention method. It was not so long ago that smoking was seen as healthy for pregnant women and their unborn children. The fallible human element can never be discounted when addressing science. So given that science is not an orthodoxy, nor can it be encapsulated in an individual or group of individuals, nor can it provide a moral grounding for anything, why do so many people treat it as a faith system? It often is treated as so because it can bolster arguments for preferences, particularly in cultures that seek some form of authoritarian rule. In a sense, it is a religion, the religion of the state, and the experts who serve the state to justify its edicts. It is into this category that Fauci clearly fits. An authoritarian, without moral constraint, insisting that his interpretation of data is flawless and his detractors are deniers or heretics of the true faith he speaks for. Science's place is to inform human choices, not direct human actions. This is the danger people like Fauci present. Claimants of an impossible infallibility that should be obeyed without consideration for moral and cultural norms supported by the violence of the state. Such claims to infallibility and power are all simply paternalistic authoritarianism at best and naked assertion of dominance at worst. Men like Dr. Anthony Fauci are not anointed on the altar of the science. They are men, and the freedom-loving people of the world look forward to the day when they are tried for their crimes in the name of the science. Well, on that light-hearted note, I believe we are done for the day. On this day that I am recording, we are on Giving Tuesday, the unofficial beginning of the Christmas holiday season, a day to counter the consumer excess of Black Friday, and to give any excess you have to worthy causes. Times are tough right now, no thanks to any number of conditions that we have been talking about, and people need help. People need kindness, and the world needs love and giving. So say hello to your neighbors. Help each other in any way that you are able. Donate to that charity. And if you have the time, please join your local Libertarian Party of Michigan affiliate. If you can spare the coin, please donate to our cause on michiganlp.org. We are growing rapidly and have need for more resources going into what is sure to be uh, another crazy election year. And with that, stay free, my friends. Connor Nepomucino, signing out of the Free Mitten News.